I'm Kurt Benkert, and this is Pocket Presence, powered by Sleeper. Here we go. Welcome back. Another episode of Pocket Presence, episode 14. We are rolling through this. Tyler, what's up, dude? How are you this morning? Good. I'm excited. We uh, we have a lot of football to talk about. It was a complete dude. weekend. I think I saw you tweet. You know, that Saturday, those three Saturday games catch you off guard. And I know we prep people for it, but they still caught me off guard. It's starting at Dude, noon seemed a little early on Saturday. Give me that. Give me it. Like I, I honestly felt like I got to experience Sunday twice. It was like Sunday light and then like real Sunday. And I had so much action across the board. It wasn't a great weekend for my sleeper picks, but it was a good weekend across the board in the NFL. Some craziness, man, the, the playoff race is obviously heating up and it seems like for the first time ever, and again, maybe not ever, but the first time that I can remember in recent history where there's only one team that's top dog and everybody else is scratching and clawing for the rest of the spots on both sides of the conferences. Like, I don't know, can you can you remember any time that's been like this? No, I can't. And honestly, in the AFC, when you think about it, there's still a lot of wildcard teams to shake out. But even if the Buffalo Bills get in as a seven seed, like that's a team that you could legitimately see winning the Super Bowl from totally. top to bottom in the AFC at the very least. And it seems like the parody at least this year is at an all-time high. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. It's made it hard to like predict what's going to happen. And I think part of this um, anybody's year type of deal is the fact that there seem to be the most injuries in the quarterback position of all time. And I, don't, I can't fact check that, but I'm going to say I think that's true. Um, and again, I think that leads us to a little bit more run-of-the-mill team, some middle teams some mid-offs as these kids nowadays say just fighting it out and duking it out i mean you look at the texans yesterday they had cj stroud go out and then case keenum came in and won them the game and derrick henry i think for the first time maybe in the history of the nfl he had 15 carries i believe less than what half a yard per carry like that's derrick henry so that's again like there's so many teams like that where you think okay cj stroud's out tank dell's out nico collins is out texans are gonna lose Titans just beat the Dolphins last week. Titans can't do shit. They show up and Houston just punches them in the mouth and finds a way to win in a really scrappy way. Man, I just, I keep thinking about like, what is this playoff picture going to look like? And there's no like locks. Like there's just, once they get in, anybody can win. It's going to be slugfests. And the teams that I think this year more than ever that are going to benefit in these playoffs are going to be the number one seeds and home field advantage teams all the way into the conference championship. 49ers, Ravens, I'm looking at you. Don't throw the bag. But, man, I, I'm so excited to dive into this today. Yeah, you mentioned home field advantage. An instance this weekend where that was not the case was in Carolina, where we saw oh. tickets going for $0.45 cents a pop, and they were ranging from $0.45 cents to 5 bucks. Have you ever seen anything like this? They reported the attendance was 70,000. And the way they do that is they say how many tickets they sold. Apparently they sold over 70,000 tickets. But when you look at some of these pictures at no kickoff, at up. halftime, it looked like there were less than a thousand people in the stands. I, I can't remember seeing a stadium that empty. Yeah, that was gross. And I, I know it was like a monsoon pouring rain game. It's cold this time of the year, plus rain. Like it's not ideal. And also Panthers suck, right? But they won yesterday. They beat the Arthur Smith led Falcons in just a gross, gross game. And I just... I have this uh, meme that I found. Well, I didn't. I kind of made it yesterday. It was a picture of Bryce Young with his crooked ass helmet and like kind of kazoo looking up a uh, little top down. And it's just like, that's what Arthur Smith and the Falcons lost to. You know, like Bryce Young played well enough in the rain to like win them that game. But it's just, I think this really speaks to like the state of the NFL right now. 
you just don't know what's going to happen each week. Some of these teams suck. You think they suck and then they don't. Top dogs are eating with their fan attendance. These lower, lower teams like them, the Cardinals. It's just, I don't know. There's not a lot to look forward to for these like bottom five teams right now. What teams, because I, I was thinking, you know, my, my girlfriend's a Minnesota Vikings fan, and mm-hmm. the Vikings are one of these teams that historically are miserable, right? They haven't yeah. won a Super Bowl yet, but you go to these games at U.S. Bank Stadium, which is a, a beautiful field, Dude, and they're sick. always full, and it's always yeah. loud, and I just struggle to think, like, who are these teams? Maybe the Panthers are one of them that <laughs> if the going gets tough, there are going to be less than 10,000 people that show up. Are are there more teams like that? Yeah, dude. I look at I kind of look at it like uh the Panthers are one of them. I think when the Texans are bad bad, like that can get pretty ugly. I think the Titans are a team as well. Like they Nashville's a fun city and I think you have to look at it of like what's going on in that city for the most part to do on a Sunday. You look at Tennessee, Nashville, there's a lot of good stuff going on in Nashville all the time. You look at the Falcons, if the Falcons like when I was there, we sucked. We were always like kind of in the fight, but ended up sucking at the end of the year. And by the end of the season, we were using our silent cadence in our own home stadium. Like we had the Cowboys come through one game and the entire stadium was just Cowboys at a home game. And Matt Ryan's using silent count at home. And it's like home field advantage does not exist for bad teams when things get rough. Yeah. It almost seems like that's becoming increasingly the case as we see more bad football being played that these, you know, we talked from a sports betting perspective, the two to three points that usually get laid for home field advantage seem to not really mm-hmm. matter anymore. And I do wonder if that's because there's just a lot of bad football that's being played. Yeah, there's there's bad football. And like, I think the the big thing is like, it's not like it's like there are bad teams, but there's also just really bad, like ugly football being played right now. Like you look, you look at that game. What was it? Nine to seven. I think the Panthers won and it was a monsoon yeah. again, but like the Falcons on paper have what seemed to be like a, a loaded young offensive roster you got kyle pitts you got drake london you got Bijan robinson and all of them i think total had 13 carries if you're gonna suck as a team at least go down trying to make explosive plays like getting like your playmakers the ball in their hands algier he's been running really well this year all things considered but he should not be leading the team in rushing in in attempts and then Cordero patterson he should not be taking attempts away from Bijan. i just think it's this idea that coaches sometimes can't get out of their own way and it's bleeding into what are you seeing on Sundays? Perfect example. Look at the Texans. They they were supposed to suck this year. They're filling out their stadium because they're exciting to watch. And at the end of the day, the owners are not going to stand around long enough to watch just abysmal play on offense because it's an offensive league and you got to fill the stands. I don't care if my team is, what, 1 in 10, 2 in 12, whatever it may be put up some fireworks, go down swinging. Don't be like a gross, like 1980s team. And I think you're seeing some of that. Yeah. Do you think this is a death sentence for Arthur Smith? It seems like, I hope so. Even if they, even if they make the playoffs, which they still have a chance in that horrible division, it's hard to see a world where he comes back as a coach next year. Dude, I've been outspoken about him and I'm like, I'm a I'm like slightly salty because I was cut by them uh, when they came in, but I also think they they've done a terrible job. If they've been winning games and like managing it well, I wouldn't even complain. Like it's it's just business. But like they he came in with this like arrogance in in a way. Like you just kind of see how he goes about his press conferences and all of that stuff and it's like, dude, you do not have offense figured out. Like in the slightest. Like you your offense is the most probably 1980s looking offense that we've seen this year. But then you got guys like Mike McDaniel who can go and reinvent the wheel for once and it's like there's a better way to do it in the league. And coaches that are too stubborn to learn, to adapt, to move on and grow from it, 
while you also have a GM that like, dude, three first round draft picks back to back to back offensive studs. And that's how you use them. Like your GM is loading you up to like, it's like, I, I made this analogy a couple of weeks ago. It's like a dad buying his kid, like this sick ass Lego set for Christmas. And he just wants to play with the box. And it's like, that is what Arthur Smith is doing this year. And it's crushing the GM's hopes. It's crushing the owner's hopes and dreams. And it's screwing our fantasy leagues. It, in the first week of the fantasy playoffs, nonetheless, to have Nonetheless, dude, you're going to pull that? Like, I should have known better. I should have known better. Is there any pressure? I know this is ridiculous to say. That there's a joke that goes around where, you know, fans pay the salaries of the players because if we, us <laughs> fans, didn't show up and watch the games, there'd be, you know, no money to pay the players. But yeah. is there any pressure in the building where there's so i mean there has been so much public outcry you you've been you've been a person that's loved to charge on that that <laughs> arthur smith isn't using yeah. his fun players and maybe it's goofy to say but it seems like it has reached a boiling point to where they have to at the falcons or in atlanta hear some of that noise and say maybe all these people kind of have a point like he's just Dude, you know and, and they're not blind either it doesn't like take a rocket scientist to see like you my like the greatest example dude look at the dolphins and look at the texans right offensive juggernauts for most of the year. Like the Texans with how young their team is, has been putting up a lot of points. CJ Stroud's been blowing it up. And most of those guys are new players after one year. And you go and look at the Dolphins. Took them a couple years, right? Like they are blowing up. Their offense is rolling. The Falcons could just do that very soon. And so you look at the Texans, the Dolphins, like where did those coaches come from and what tree were they a part of? Shanahan's those two guys Bobby Slowick with the Texans McDaniel with the Dolphins they were both under Shanahan Shanahan's obviously crushing it this year all of those teams offensively are crushing it you can't tell me that a guy like Bobby Slowick as an offensive coordinator can't go and be the head coach next year for the Falcons and make that offense look better than what they have been it's not rocket science they're already doing it I would even be pressed to say minus the quarterback position that the Falcons have better offensive weapons than the Texans do like it could be a quick turnaround. That division sucks already. So you don't need a whole lot to propel you to the number one spot in that division. Yeah, unfortunately for Arthur, Arthur Smith, it seems like he is the one holding them back. And, and maybe there's a quarterback conversation, although I would contend that Desmond Ritter or uh, Taylor Heineke, whoever ends up being the quarterback next year, probably makes it out the best out of all of this because the heat seems to be on Arthur Smith and not on the quarterback play, which has been equally as terrible. No doubt. It's been really gross. Um Again, Desmond Ritter threw one really, really ugly pick last week. But again, he's like, I don't know. If he's not having to play superhero ball and playing behind the sticks and behind the chains, like he doesn't really have any easy answers in that offense. And I actually spoke to another player that used to play for them, plays for somebody else now. And one of his biggest things that he said about Arthur Smith was that he's an O-lineman at heart and he's in charge of the pass game. So everything that he does in the pass game is going to center around protection, blocking it up, and as a quarterback, dude, that sucks. If you are blitzing me, I don't want to bring seven people into protection. I want it to be empty. I maybe want to have a back end that's chipping, but I want to get the ball out of my hands. And right now their answer versus those types of pressures are blocking it up, staying in the pocket, trying to rip a bomb downfield. Like there are a lot of different ways to skin a cat. And I hate how the Falcons are doing it. One more note before we move on from this game. I was curious just how much money was lost in a Panthers game where it seemed like only a couple thousand people showed up. So usually an NFL team, if they sell at a 70,000 person stadium at an average ticket price of 135 bucks could clear something like $10 million at the gate. 
it was reported by a stadium employee uh, in Carolina that only 5,200 people ended up showing up. So that's not how many people bought tickets, but 5,200 people show up, assuming that the average ticket cost is about 105 bucks, which is what it's been for the Panthers, even though that was not what we saw this weekend. <laughs> yeah. They only cleared about half a million dollars at the gate. And unfortunately for the team, they have to pay the concession workers, the field maintenance guys, the security workers, the same regardless of how many people show up, which averages out to be a little over $2 million a game. So oh, it is quite possible that the Panthers lost $1.5 million here by winning their second game of the year. And I guess Panther fans can at least go home knowing they won their or doubled their win total for the season. Dude, that's gross to even hear. I never, I never looked at it that way. And like, that's just like Tepper right that's that's their owner tepper yep. is just bad financial decision after bad financial decision but he's a billionaire so like he do what he wants i guess it's just like a drop in the bucket <laughs> it is all right well let's move on the jets lost this week and the storyline circulating around that team was will or will not Aaron Rodgers come back if they are eliminated which they ended up getting eliminated from playoff yeah. contention this week obviously kurt you spent some time with aaron it's remarkable that Less than 100 days ago, he even tore his Achilles and is now even entertaining a comeback. But how do you think the rest of the season plays out for this Jets team, particularly when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, who, by all reports, seemed ready to come in and play? Yeah, I I just, like, selfishly hope he plays because I just want to see it. You know, like, I want to see him play a real game, full game with a different team that, like, I still have, like, the flashbacks of him running out of the tunnel on 9-11, that game against the Bills, like, man, we were robbed of what was a really special game and moment. And I'm like, selfishly, I want I want just a little bit of a consolation for that. Um, for him, I think it's tricky, especially if, um, especially if Zach Wilson is in concussion protocol. Are they going to make us watch Trevor Simeon again? You know, like that's, I just, I want to see what could this team actually be. And I think, for the jobs of like Nathaniel Hackett and some of the other guys on that staff right now that haven't been able to put it together with the right quarterback or whatever it may be, Aaron might have to play these next few weeks just to save Nathaniel Hackett's job. Like if, if, if Hackett goes out there and Aaron's out there and they put up 30, 40 points the next three games, I think you might get a pass for this real shit season that they've had. And if not, man, there's like no more excuses. And I love Nathaniel Hackett, but at this point in time, like the results are the results and it's two years of whatever it's been. And I don't know, man, I'm, I'm not, I would never call for Hackett's job. Like I love him to death. I know the NFL is a cutthroat business. I know that I've been cut for less, right? Like it's, it's just the way that it goes. And I could definitely see Aaron going out there and having to play for Hackett's job. You, you've seen players as, as you've played in the, in the league have significant injuries like this. And by all accounts, Rodgers should be out for the season, especially given his age, totally. right? So what, you know, what is the mentality or maybe what's the thing that separates Rodgers? Because I would assume for a guy's 10 years, his junior, they'd just be out for the season and they wouldn't think much about coming back. So what is it about Aaron that do you think drives him to be like, okay, I'm going to try to make this comeback happen in three months time. I think that's, that's always who he's been. And that's what helped him be successful and do all of everything that he's done up to this point. Um, he's always had a chip on his shoulder dating back to his like, juco days and all that good stuff um and being what he thought was the best quarterback in his draft which he was and sliding all the way down to the 20 something pick right i think that that's just been the story that he's had in his head forever and that will probably never change right like he's the underdog the comeback guy like all odds stacked against him 
And that's what's made him so good, in my opinion. Besides from like the God-given ability, the insane work ethic and all of that, but it all feeds in together to like, it's a special case um, for a human, you know? So I think that all plays into it. You mentioned Nathaniel Hackett, how his job might be on the line. Robert Salah, his job might be on the line. Joe Douglas, the GM, his job might be on the line. Do you think if this season continues to go the way it's going, Rodgers doesn't step in and play, they have horrible quarterback play. I mean, they scored zero points again. Yeah. Is it a clean house situation for New York, or do you think there's some excitement, continuity, knowing that Rodgers will be back next year? Dude, that's so hard to predict. Um, I could see it. I could see it going one of two ways because the only reason why he went to New York was because of the situation with the coaching staff, some of the weapons on offense. Um, but he's had to experience and watch firsthand of whatever this whole actual behind the scenes looks like for the Jets all year. And maybe he doesn't love it. I don't know. I haven't talked to him about it. So I'm like, I'd imagine he wants a fresh start with the same guys. But with a season that bad and like that questionable on how it's been going, I could see it being like, I could see it being a fresh start. I also don't know like, what does his contract look like? I know he's signed for a few more years. He took a very healthy pay cut. And I'm like, does this become a weird, does he get traded somewhere else? Like to restart again, freshly? Like I haven't even, who knows, but I feel like come time for the season to end, this could be a very weird, like what happens with the Jets, with Aaron? Where does he go? Does he stay? I mean, I doubt that they'd want to trade him after investing as much as they did. And there's been teams around the league that have lost one, two, three guys at quarterback and are still finding ways to be competitive. And the fact that the Jets have not found a way to consistently even remotely be competitive with a guy that they had drafted in the first round a couple of years ago, whose fault is it? Is it Zach Wilson's? I don't really think so. Every guy that's coming after him has looked like shit. So like, Maybe there's an underlying theme there. That's a great point. There's been a lot of examples this year, especially of quarterbacks that were traded for a late round pick. I think of Josh Dobbs to Minnesota mm -hmm. that for a while have helped teams sort of float their season to the point where they can convince themselves they're playoff contenders. Yep. When the Jets don't have Aaron Rodgers, they are one of the worst teams, one of the worst looking offensive teams in the entire league. And I think that's a great point is that, I mean, that's not Aaron Rodgers fault, but could you make the argument, Kurt, that to a certain extent, maybe this hope that he might be coming back prevented the Jets from making a yeah. move that could have helped them at least have a, a tenable season. I would be thinking of it from this perspective. If I'm Aaron, would I want to be playing in a situation where like, I don't now that the, like the proofs in the pudding, like the, like all of the facts are there. He doesn't have the help around him to make this an easy job. He's got to go be a superhero again without a roster around him on paper right now. Like they don't, they're not playing well. So like, they weren't able to do it without him. They need him where you have other guys like look at Jake Browning going in for Joe Burrow. Like that situation, Joe, Jake Browning doesn't have to be a superhero. He's made some great plays, but he's got studs around T Higgins, Jamar Chase, like Joe Mixon, Chase Brown. Those guys are balling right now. Even their tight ends balling. Does Aaron want to have to be a superhero again next year where I'm like, dude, I think he, he took a pay cut, right? He's making what? 30 million a year instead of, yeah, 50, I think he just like pushed some of that money down the line a little bit. So like, could he like imagine Aaron in Miami, you know, like there's, I know that two is going to be there and everything, but there's got to be other situations where there's more help. That's just where my mind would be going a little bit where it's like, dang, did I dodge a bullet by like not playing this year and not having to be in that situation? But I don't know. I mean, I'd imagine that he ends up playing next year for the jets. Everybody stays. 
But there's a world where like, that's got to be lingering in the back of a few people's minds. Totally. And the Jets are such an interesting case because of course they gave up 30 points to the, to the Dolphins this last weekend. But Without their defense for the... Yeah, but their defense for the most part has been pretty good all mm-hmm. year. And the Jets offense has some really good young playmakers, Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson. So there are pieces there that you could convince yourself they're one piece away. And, and that was the pitch at the beginning of the season. Yeah. They're one quarterback away. It, so maybe this is just more of an indictment on a Zach Wilson, Trevor Simeon, whichever poor guy they <laughs> roll out there. But you're right. Yeah. At the same time, you have Josh Jobs and Jake Browning's popping up all across the league, and yeah. they seem to make it work. So it's it, it is a real head scratcher on who the who the blame lies on. One hundred percent, dude. It's it'll be fun to watch how it plays out. And I think the other thing they gotta, I don't know, man. It's you're also playing in a division against the Bills and the Dolphins, who are just surging. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. One of the most underreported stories of the weekend. Something I found really interesting that I want to talk about with you here. The Eagles made this swap in their defensive coordinators. So Matt Patricia, who apparently is on the Eagles staff. Yeah, like as of when, right? Fully aware of. <laughs> as of when. Made made the switch to take over uh, as as the play caller. They retained the guy that was currently, or the, formerly their defensive coordinator, but slotted Matt Patricia up into a play caller role. Yeah. Is this something you've ever seen before? This seems like a real head scratcher to me, but makes sense with that reeling Eagles defense so it's it's weird because like there was some fine print in there that I like need to get more to the bottom of and is it so there's different duties right as a as an offensive coordinator so this is great great example here so Matt LaFleur was not the offensive coordinator um or is not the offensive coordinator in Green Bay um right now Stenovich is before him was Hackett they were the offensive coordinators they helped get everybody on the same page to formulate what the game plan would be like. But Matt LaFleur ultimately had the final say. He was also a huge part of making the game plan. At the end of the day, Matt LaFleur called the plays on Sunday. So I'm like, is the original defensive coordinator still responsible for like all the organizational stuff of the game plan for the week? And then Patricia just calls on Sunday. Or is it like, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's nuances to it. So I'm like, how much can it actually help? I don't know. They just, they don't look good on defense at all. Like they look very suspect and Slay's out this week and they're playing against the Seahawks. Uh, well, I, obviously this game is about to happen. This recording is happening before the game of Monday night, but I can't wait to see what happens future me because that type of last ditch, it's a last ditch effort for a defense that's just looking for answers and I don't know if that's like, is that enough? You know, like it's, you have months and months and months of developing what your defense looks like for the year. And to just think that that's going to be the fix. I don't know. We'll see. Patricia's in, in the past been a good defensive coach. So good defensive coordinator, good play caller for the most part when he's not the main guy. Um, so we'll see. So Sean Desai, who was the former Eagles defensive coordinator is actually retaining his title as defensive coordinator. And Matt Patricia will just be calling the plays tonight, which seems messy but that also seems like what happens in the nfl when mm-hmm. a team realizes it has an issue on its hands which is yeah. let's just try to patch it up as quickly as possible what kind of changes do you see that eagles defense needing to make in order for them to make a late playoff push they have super bowl aspirations but it seems like their defense could be the thing holding them back mm-hmm. they need to control the line of scrimmage better and that's what we talked about earlier in the year like the defensive d line or the eagles defensive line like they're the the starting and ending point of that defense they haven't been playing well and they've been getting dominated up front. And even even in the games that they've won, you don't see like this dominant, like swarming Eagles defense that you expected to see. And so I would expect them to be more aggressive, less playing on their heels, more playing on their toes, trying to go downhill, um, and just willing to take some more chances. It's like 
across the board, that team doesn't seem like they're trying to go out and win games. They're just trying not to lose them. And it's worked for the most part, but this is a roster. You look at it, especially on offense, like they should be dominating games and they're just not. And they very much reminded me, they remind me of the 2021 Packers when I played there. Roster wise, we were like way better than the teams we were playing, but we just kind of let teams hang around. And it ultimately came back to bite us in the ass when we played against the 49ers in the playoffs and a lesser team that year beat us because we just kept teams around. So you bring up the Green Bay Packers. Mm-hmm. Would not be an episode with you, Kurt, unless we oh, talked about the Joe Barry-led Packers defense. Baker Mayfield becomes only the second quarterback to put up a perfect passer rating in Lambeau Field, the other, of course, being Aaron Rodgers. Now, in back-to-back weeks, Joe Barry's defense has made Baker Mayfield and Tommy DeVito look like superstar quarterbacks. What do you make of this Joe Barry-led defense? My biggest question that I'm sure a lot of Packers fans have is, why hasn't this guy been fired yet? You look at his resume. He didn't it drives have a, me nuts sparkling you just go just go because Dude, i'm so frustrated it drives me insane because like is this not a results-based business like you can you can cut people for making too many memes and being too talkative on twitter hey packers but you won't fire a guy for like consistently underperforming and i actually really like joe barry as the person and i also think he's a really like detail-oriented coach but there's a disconnect on game day and like situational football and the extra details on game day that matter, not letting your DBs play 10 yards off in a two minute drill, not getting cut through the middle of the defense, like Swiss cheese on screens. Like there's, there's just a disconnect. And like, he may be a great like preparate preparation based coach, but it does not translate to game day. And that's sometimes the type of coach that just needs to be a defensive coach or a DB coach or a passing game coordinator, not calling the plays, not being the, like the guy that has to give the stamp of final approval for what that defense looks like. And that's fine. Sometimes that's just what you're going to be because he is a good coach. He's a good players coach. Like he, he does the job. People respect him, but there's just that disconnect come game day. And it's just like that, that can't fly, especially when you're on the cusp of being a wild card team and being a playoff team like that. You cannot keep getting away with it. And that's just the stuff with the Packers. Like if it, they haven't done it yet this morning as of Monday, 1040 my time. But at some point, like have some real accountability, do something that will create different results. And I think it took Matt LaFleur maybe 10 weeks offensively to start like switching things around and like calling different plays. And their offense is starting to hum a little bit. The defense, man, like it's just so easy to get free yards and free completions and young quarterbacks thrive on that the last thing that i want to see as a quarterback if i'm out there is like mugging up the line of scrimmage with your backers blitz peeling like doing all this funky third down stuff dude they're just playing this off easy take five yards break a tackle get 10 defense and it's like you can't do that man so what would be the rationale for not firing him in the middle of the season it seems like that's the thing packer fans want more than anything is yeah. joe barry out you make the point they're in playoff contention it seems like the defense is the one thing holding them back is it a possibility that matt lafleur could say see ya in the middle of the season or is that not how the packers organization does it and we just have to stick it out the rest of the year i mean it's th- with the packers organization you definitely never know like they typically are so by the book. We'll let him finish out the year, make their adjustments next year. Like don't like their rash decisions or whatever. But at some point, 
this is the NFL and you get paid to do a job. And if you're, cons- if you're responsible for something and it's not showing up on game day, that's just what happens. Like players get cut any random Tuesday. Like it, it's just, why is there not the same standard or level of whatever with coaches that there are with players? And it's like, I don't know, man, there's, there's, that's the NFL's definitely got like a good old boy system in it with coaches and like, people hiring friends and people hiring past colleagues just because it makes it easier to work with them every day. Cause you don't have to go through like the learning people phase, but at some point this is a results-based business. And if there's consistently like a theme that you say, you're going to go check on film and then correct it next week. And it's not fixed. What happens if a quarterback does that? If a quarterback is being told every single week, take care of the football, take care of the football, take care of the football. And he keeps fumbling and throwing picks and this and that he's going to get benched. Then next time he's going to get cut. Sam Howell got benched for Jacoby Brissett today or yesterday. Coaches around the league are willing to do it for players, but won't do it for their friends that are in the locker room with them. So I don't know, man. What kind of a trickle down effect does that have on the rest of the team? One interesting thing I've earmarked as a Packer fan is this Jair Alexander injury doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be getting better as quickly as fans want. He's been out for something like six weeks, which would have theoretically made him a candidate for the IR, but they yeah. just kind of had him on the injury report every week. Is there a sentiment among players where it's like, look, we know this guy sucks. Why don't you do something about it? If you're not doing something about it, I don't want to play. I'm not accusing Jair of doing that, but I'm saying like, is there a mentality of that in the locker room? There, there definitely can be that if you feel like the team is starting or like the coaches are starting to lose the team a little bit. I don't know if that's the case with the Packers as a whole, but I mean, look, I love Jair. I think he's one of the most talented players in the league. I know from reports that he has requested to shadow number one receivers multiple times that's like been in the media they've talked about it and he's consistently in a scheme that like it's like he's never doing that and so i don't know if that has something to do with it i don't know if he's again he would probably play knowing him he's competitive he's a little different but he's super competitive but again like at at what point this is the other thing is like in the nfl when you're being told to do something over and over and over again by someone that starts to like you lose, you start to lose trust in their ability to tell you to do something that you don't feel like is putting you in the best position to be successful. Like at what point does like the, the tides change where this coach isn't putting me in the best position to be successful. You've heard about it with the jets on offense. Like we're getting out scheme. We're getting out this, we're getting out that. Like those players are frustrating and players being frustrated is even worse than coaches being frustrated because they're the ones that have to go in the field and put their bodies on the line. The dynamic in the NFL is crazy. And when you start to lose, these little things that have been like maybe brushed under the rug for so long start to come up, and you're seeing them right now. Is there a favorite for you to, st- let's say Joe Barry gets fired this week after the recording of this episode? Is there a, uh, a favorite that you'd have your mark for the Packers, somebody they should bring? Ooh, it you, probably wouldn't happen in the middle of the season, but. Yeah, like defense coordinator next year? Yeah. Ooh. Man, I'll give you a couple names that I've seen as a as a Packers fan. Al Harris, who is a co- current deba- uh, defensive back coach in uh, Dallas, which obviously they're that's balling. one of the mo- most talented units in the entire league. Former mm-hmm. Packer Al Harris, if you could see him sweet. come home, yeah, I like. I think that could be sweet. Obviously, like play calling is a whole nother deal, but he played. He like that's the other thing is players know. Like players know what they hoped to be called when they were in the third and seven situation against a certain team when a certain part of the field like players have more time on task with like a lot of pressure where being able to coach after being a player in my opinion for most players is a lot easier because you have 
the physical pressure off and it's just like making decisions. Um, I would love to see him. I obviously a guy like Belichick defensively, I don't think would ever go and be a coordinator unless he wants to go and play for his or coach for a historic franchise. I doubt that would happen. I think he'll probably end up somewhere else as a head job, like in a rebuild. Um, but maybe one year Bill Belichick comes through and is the Packers defensive coordinator and then they get humming, you know, like I, I think something like that would be cool, probably unlikely. Um, but yeah, man, I think you could probably, you could probably also see another guy from the 49ers or from the Texans defensive staffs be scooped up to be coordinators. And that's the thing that bothers me is like, you don't need to go and get a guy that was a, was a DC, then as a head coach, then as a DC, like there are position coaches that are just bright, like brilliant football minds, like Mike McDaniel, like Bobby Slowick that are just performing and the game now is different than it used to be so just getting these old guys that have just always done it doesn't seem to be like an answer right now most of these old guys are filtering out and it's the young bright minds so i would hope that the packers would go with a former player like al harris maybe a bona fide defensive legend like belichick even though he probably won't be available or just a young bright mind from a scheme that he's had years to see how it's done the right way sure speaking of coaching changes brandon staley gone we talked about it last week they put up a stinker against the Raiders on Thursday night football. The Brandon Staley led defense giving up 63 points to Aiden O'Connell. So ridiculous. Ridiculous. Who do you think the favorite is for this job? I think it's an enticing one with Justin Herbert, but who do you think steps in? Man, this is, this is a really tough one for me. And I think at this point they have to go offensive mind, right? Like they can't keep going defensive guy, not featuring Herbert in everything they do. Um, you know, one guy that I would I would have a lot of fun watching his redemption arc would be Eric Bieniemy, and I know that like he's been up for it a few different times. I could see the Chargers going and grabbing a former AFC West foe, bringing him over, and like prototype wise, Justin Herbert can do a lot of the things Mahomes can do. So it would be and look at the success that Sam Howell's had on offense. You take away all of the defensive BS that's happened with Ron Rivera and his team. Eric Bieniemy has done a really good job with a really depleted offense. Go give him some weapons. Give him Keenan Allen, who is getting older, but give him Gerald Everett. Give him Eckler maybe one more year. Give him Herbert. Decent draft. The AFC West finally looks vulnerable for the first time in a while because the Chiefs haven't reloaded. I could go see him shaking it up a little bit, but I think they have to go offensive mind. Yeah, I never get why teams don't do that, especially these days, because as you describe, the best thing that can happen is you have a good offensive coordinator and this is in the context of having a defensive coach and that offensive coordinator goes and gets hired as as a coach like yeah. Matt LaFleur for the example the Packers can never get hired away or will never get hired away because he is the head coach of the Green Bay Packers exactly. so you're never going to lose your offensive firepower I just I don't understand why in 2023 teams are still hiring Brandon Staley type defensive coaches yeah like what what team right now what team has a defensive coach as their head coach that will have longevity in the I think league the right Texans now. would be the that's best the, example. That's exactly who I was thinking of, the Texans. Besides that, who? And the only other guy that I think could do this again is Dan Quinn. Besides him, I would be going offensive all day long. There's, But uh, the other thing, too, is um, the Texans head coach was a former player. He gets it. Like, it's really, dude, it is so tough to get these defensive head coaches that are not player coaches and don't know how to communicate or connect to people that are just these hard asses that also have a disconnect from offense. It's just like, 
I don't think it's a formula for success. And again, the only reason why Belichick had so much success, in my opinion, was because the offense was ran through Brady. And Brady was that player liaison, and they had great synergy. Like, they worked well together. But that's like, that's so hard to replicate. Like, you you don't want to be having to bank on that. Do you have a sleeper candidate for this Chargers job? We talked about it a bit last week. We talked yeah. about it in the context of Belichick, maybe putting him aside. Who is somebody that not a lot of people are talking about that you think could sneak in for this Chargers head coaching job? Oh, I could see Bobby Slowick. Bobby Slowick's a hot name for me right now. Um, I'm looking around the league. I could see Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson with the Lions. So, like, these are some of the guys that, like, I'm looking at Bobby Slowick, Ben Johnson. I'm looking at Dan Quinn again to get another shot. I think Eric Bieniemy should be in there in those conversations. Oh, man. And I think that's like right now that's who I have my my paws on. But besides that, um, I want to see how playoffs go because there's going to be some of these teams like the Browns, um, the Colts that are like going to scratch their way to the playoffs, maybe make a run, maybe not. You look at the Rams too, like there's just some weirdness going on in the NFL right now that I think some of these wildcard teams, their OCs get picked up and scooped up every year, even though you're like, oh, like that was kind of shocking, but. I want you to take us inside the locker room for a second. The Chargers get 63 hung on them in a primetime oh, game. God. There's three games left. They're, for all intents and purposes, out of playoff contention. As yeah. a player, it, it, it would feel so hard to go there and put your body on the line for a team you know sucks. You know the coaches aren't going to be there next year. What yeah. is the psychology of a player that is at this low of a low where the, where the Chargers are right now? Yeah, so right now, the only thing they're playing for, you have young guys that are playing for jobs next year. You have old guys that are playing for performance bonuses because they need all year to get their extra sack, their extra reception, touchdown, whatever. And then you have coaches that are, honestly, most of them checked out. And that's the saddest thing, dude. Like seeing a coach, because the coaches, you're fired. You just have to finish your job because your head guy's gone. So you're gone. And whoever comes in new is going to bring in his whole new staff. So, like, I think who has it the worst are the coaches that are assistant coaches that know their jobs are done. They have to coach for four more weeks. They're going to miss Christmas with their families, New Year's with their families, but they still got a job to do. And then they're out. And then they're going to be without a job and going through the shuffle. So I think players have more to play for, but they will play safer. They're going to take care of their bodies because that will cost them money. Um, but, man, the dynamic of a team that's, like, on paper nothing to play for is so wild i always wonder if there's an angle here you know whether it's betting or dfs that you can exploit because you know a team like that is so checked out is mm -hmm. there something that you look for as you're putting your picks together every week that you're like yeah. you know since the chargers are so down bad i'm staying away from them or i'm leaning into them like what is your mentality around that yeah so i would be grabbing like the highest output for totals for some of these guys like austin eckler like give give me his combined line on rushing uh and receiving yards and i'm just going to toss the under on it because as long as it's like reasonably for the under because you look at that last game it got out of hand and even on like he was like splitting between two other backs the entire game even before it was like way out of hand and it's just like a guy like him he's worth a lot of money maybe he's not even close to his bonuses because he's missed a few games like honestly i would love to go and see is there a public record for bonuses on players um, and what they're playing for? Because that could be a huge, huge exploit for some of these DFS entries.
Yeah, that that's a, that's a really good point. I'm I'm not entirely sure it's public unless an agent or a team yeah. makes it public. Give but me every I, single bonus that these players are playing for, so I can fade them. <laughs> I think that's it. probably a good way to think about it. Okay, the the Lions this weekend mm-hmm. absolutely destroyed the Broncos. I, I think it was a game that was very telling for the you know grand scheme of the playoff picture. The Lions, I think punch above their class a little bit, take a yeah. step up in the eyes of a lot of people. Obviously, it helps in terms of the seating. And the Broncos, who are on this sort of miracle, destiny-filled run, yeah. seem to now take a step back. They're still in playoff contention, obviously, but yeah. not a good showing. What, what was your big takeaway from this game? So the Broncos didn't need this game. It's obviously interconference. This would have helped their win total, but it was this was a tough matchup. This The Lions and the Broncos don't match up well together for the Broncos' favor. Um the biggest thing that I take away from this is Sean Payton and his antics on the sideline with Russell Wilson and chewing him out for whatever it was. And Russell was talking to his quarterback coach um, at the time, and they just got like interrupted by an angry Sean Payton. And I know like we are, we all already know who Sean Payton is. We know that type of guy. We know his personality. He's got some little man syndrome to him, right? Like he's just, I don't like that kind of guy. Um, and everybody knows that on Twitter already, but to chew out your quarterback when you failed to challenge two plays that were like you should have challenged. That's your job to be the one to throw the flag. Like they would have, one of them would have scored at least and to publicly chew out your quarterback. Like you don't see guys like Dan Campbell doing that to their players. You don't see, especially not to like your guy. You see them doing it to young players that like don't know anything. Russell Wilson does not need to be chewed out by anybody. He already knows whatever it was. And if I had to guess, I I saw something on Twitter. It was about, uh, I think Russ snapped the ball with 17 seconds left on the play clock. And um, Sean Payton, this was the alleged theory, <clears throat> that Sean Payton wasn't allowed enough time to decide if he wanted to challenge. Well, if that like that's probably the only thing I think that he could have been yelling at him for. Sean Payton has the ability to talk to Russell Wilson in the headset up until 15 seconds or left. You can tell him one, you can not call in a play because he's going to, if you call a play in, he's going to run what you call because that's what players do. And then two, you can over communicate and say, Hey, I'm going to give you this play, but give me some time to figure out if I'm going to challenge this. You can literally say those words. So like anything that he could have been yelling at him about was probably his fault anyways. Like, and that's, that's the thing for me is like, Sean Payton's already an asshole. We already know that. Like he's time and time again proven that he's an asshole. But like to a guy like Russell Wilson, I feel like he's just doing it because Russ is so nice and just takes it. And it's like so like this like short little bully mentality that I cannot stand. You would never see Sean Payton talking to Aaron Rodgers that way. Because Aaron Rodgers would dish that shit right back to you five times harder. But it's like because Russ is such a nice guy. Like he gets taken advantage of in those situations and it just is a bad look. So like the Broncos, I think that they're going to win some more games. I think they could sneak into the playoffs, but like, I don't like their longevity for success mainly because of who's leading the show. And Russell Wilson shocked me this year. I think he's playing really well. He's playing clean football, taking care of the ball. He's making plays and he's playing, like he's elevating what he's being asked to do in that system for the most part. Right now, I think it's like Sean Payton that just needs to like do better. And that's the way that I look at it. Yeah, you made the comment that that's Sean Payton's guy. To a certain extent, that's not Sean Payton's guy. It went, Russ got traded, and then Sean Payton got moved there to try to change up that culture. 
I think you could take the view, and this would be siding with Sean Payton, where he's trying to shake up a losing culture, even continuing to the beginning of the season. And Russ was a symptom of that after last year. So yeah. there just might be some disconnect there, I could imagine, where yeah. Sean Payton didn't ask for Russell Wilson, and maybe now they're button heads. Yeah, I could totally see that. And I, their personalities probably could not be more opposite. And I think the tough thing for me is like, when coaches make it all about them, and again, I'm always going to side with the players because I was a player, and it's tough to watch coaches make the whole thing about them because at the end of the day, coaches will get fired if their players don't perform. Like It, it really does all come down to the players. And I feel like Sean Pay- Payton knows he gets a pass for this year because of what he, quote, inherited. But like he coached like shit the first few weeks of the season, and everybody seems to forget it. Like He, he was worse than what Hackett did last year with them like up until a point. And the only reason why he is even, why they're even in playoff contention, honestly, is because Russell Wilson's been playing really good, like protective football. Let's give the Lions their flowers here for a second. It wasn't all about the Broncos. They played well. Laporta with three touchdowns. It seems to me like this Lions offense might be emerging as one of the best positional groups at every level. Obviously with Amon Ra, Sam Laporta exploding onto the scene, and then two really solid running backs with David yeah. Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. What do you make of this Lions offense? And maybe the bigger story was the fact that their defense did not get bludgeoned like they <laughs> yeah. have in the past few weeks. Yeah, man. I think the biggest part of the Lions is if their defense can allow their offense to get ahead early. Like, the 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 Lions defense doesn't have to play great all four quarters, but the Lions thrive when they can get up a score or two because then the defense can pin their ears back. Very much so, like, the Lions' offense, if they can stay on schedule, if they can stay ahead of the chains. So, like, the whole ahead of the chains in the NFL, it's three yards on first down, half on second, convert on third. Like, that's kind of, like, what you're hoping for. Second and seven or less is considered a win. Second and eight or more is considered an L on first down. So, like, staying ahead of the chains is huge. The Lions were able to do that all game. Their offensive line played great. Um, Jared Goff, when he's upright, when he doesn't have to move a whole lot, He's one of the most accurate passers in the league. He is what I call like a great seven-on-seven quarterback when he doesn't have to be crazy athletic or do anything crazy. Um, And they have loaded up around him. And it's like the Lions right now, in my opinion, are giving the NFL a blueprint for how to build your team around a guy that might not be a generational talent but can get the job done. And it's working. Over time, like, yeah, they've lost, what, three, four games this year, but – consistently winning consistently one of the top offensive teams and their defense has playmakers. So it's a good formula. And I think the Lions again, they're going to be a blueprint for some of these teams that haven't found a way and don't have a Patrick Mahomes. What is the key to that blueprint in your opinion? There's obviously a lot of parts to it, but what's something that the Lions are doing particularly well to enable Jared Goff to play this well? Yeah, I think they are finding a way to stretch the field horizontally and then like slash vertically. So like they have jet sweeps, they have bubbles, they have like all these motions and stuff and quick outs that like make you defend the whole field horizontally. And then they're picking their times for when they're going to slash across the middle of the field. And Ben Johnson's got a really good beat on when the defense is going to try to take away the sidelines and then slash it across. That's when you see a Monroe like take off for 30, 40 yards. And it's, it's very much like get the defense on their heels, 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 and then go. Okay. Keeping it in the NFC North, the Vikings Bengals played probably the craziest game of that oh, Saturday, man. really entertaining battle between two backup quarterbacks. I have a couple things for you here, Kurt. Jake Browning plays really well. I want to understand a little bit more as to what's enabled him to play so well in Joe Burrow's absence. And then secondly, this whole idea of 
Josh Jobs falling from the starting quarterback, a guy that the Vikings traded for, to third on the depth chart is very confusing to me. So maybe if you can break down a couple yeah. of those things for us. <clears throat> yeah, so I would say we'll start with Jake Browning. Um, I think off the top, his like build, stature, play style is very similar to Joe Burrow. So he's been able to be the beneficiary of having a loaded offense around him. And he is able to watch Joe Burrow and mirror him every single week in practice and then go and essentially try to be his own version of him. Where it's not like you have a, let's say, Lamar Jackson and then like just a strictly pocket passer. Like you're, you don't, there's no real like hitches in the offensive transition. So I think they did a great job at finding a backup that they felt could mimic what Joe Burrow does to an extent. And he's done a hell, he's done a hell of a job at it. Now you look at the Vikings. I read something really interesting because it, it really blew my mind of like, what did Josh Dobbs do to fall off like that? Right. He went technically three and two as a, or I guess two and two as a starter, one in the Falcons game. If he would have stayed in, they probably still would have won the game against the Raiders. The thing that bothered me the most in this game, I'm going to start here. Look at how they called plays for Nick Mullins versus how they called plays for Josh Dobbs. Like the actual play calls themselves, it looked like their whole playbook was open. And that may be to Josh Dobbs' quote, not knowing the playbook, but they called the game a lot differently for him in that game versus what they've done with Dobbs. Threw the ball more, had more easy completions. Like things looked a little different. And I don't know what it was. Maybe they just, maybe it was a weird game. Maybe it was how Bengals played defense. But something that stuck out to me, I read on Twitter, the. Vikings, if Dobbs does not start for 50% of the games left in the season, the Vikings get to save a conditional pick that they sent. And I'm like, really? Is that is that what we're doing? And that's the only thing that makes sense, in my opinion, for him to go down to three. Also, it was kind of shocking that they didn't put Jaron Hall in to start over Mullins. Like, they skipped Hall, went to Mullins. Hall played well before he got hurt. It was just like, I don't really know what they're doing. I don't know what that situation looks like in that room. But I can tell you, like, Nick Mullins had some really ugly plays, like some bad turnovers. He doesn't have the the spark and the ability to extend plays. And Nick Mullins did what he did with Justin Jefferson in the game. Josh Dobbs did it without Justin Jefferson at all. He had one quarter of Justin Jefferson, and he was able to win them technically three games. And I'm just like, did they – this is the other thing, too, is because Justin Jefferson was back – the Bengals' defense played more too high. So because of that, there's more freebies underneath, more easy completion. So like maybe it wasn't even so much the play calls, but the way the defense was reacting to Justin Jefferson being in the game, I would imagine that Josh Jobs would have a lot easier of a time passing the ball with somebody taking two every play versus them just being able to man up and say, get open. So I think Josh Dobbs got the severe short end of the stick, and the fact that they're even in playoff contention somewhat – is solely because of him winning those two games against the Saints and the Falcons. How do you see each of these teams' playoff aspirations playing out the rest of the year? Yeah. Both currently wild card teams. Yeah. Where do you see this going? I see the Vikings. I don't. I see the Vikings folding. I do. They could take. They could. They could make it. But I think the Bengals have a better chance of making it on their side. The Vikings are unique because again, the Packers threw the bag this past week. The Seahawks, we need to know what they're going to do tonight, which I have them actually upsetting the Eagles, which again, this will already be out recording-wise. But it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I think I'm more high on the Bengals than the Vikings. Um, definitely need to know what this Jamar Chase injury looks like. I know they said he's day-to-day, -day, but we'll see. All right, let's end it here on the Cowboys. Yeah. 
I'm going to let you run with this, Kurt, because you oh, man. made the prediction and you nailed it. Yeah. Uh, Cowboys, man, they need home field advantage to thrive or they need to be playing in an indoor stadium and where they can really like leverage their speed. They are not the most physical team, but they're very flashy. They can't just dominate the run game like they used to. Um, they're they're not that squad anymore. So for them, I think the biggest the biggest thing that could happen for them is the Eagles somehow stumbling down the stretch, the Cowboys taking a game over and getting at least to have home field advantage up until potentially playing the 49ers because I just you saw it against the Bills. The Cowboys looked like they couldn't do anything in the cold. And if they have to go back to Philly when it's cold, I don't think the Cowboys are going to beat Philly at Philly. I don't think I think the Cowboys against the Lions, if they have to play them in a game that's indoors, could be nice. But if you look at the Cowboys, they're 0-3 now against teams that are over 500 that play outside. That's a pretty telling stat because they're undefeated at home, which is indoors and on turf. So they're a speed team. They're built flashy. They're built for Dak to be comfortable. And they don't look good when they're uncomfortable, clearly, all year. Anytime they've had real adversity, it hasn't looked good. So... The Cowboys, more than any team in the playoff picture, I think need a specific path to the Super Bowl to get there. The Bills obviously took this game over. What is What were they doing well to stop this prolific yeah. Cowboys <laughs> offense headed in? I know you talk about the Cowboys being outside, but there has to be mm-hmm. something the Bills did that obviously allowed them to score money, so many points and, yeah. and hold the Cowboys to so few. Yeah, so the Bills, what they did, they punched them straight in the mouth. They weren't trying to run horizontally. They weren't playing with the speed. They were going to line up and run the ball downhill. And then they had misdirection with pulling guards. And then the biggest thing that I saw, which this tells you, like, it's crunch time. Obviously, they know it's crunch time. But Josh Allen is playing lights out. First hitch, second hitch, he's taking off on third down to run. He is putting his body on the line for his team any way that they need it to move the chains. And it's not even about winning the game. He's solely focused on getting a first down every time and he'll do anything it takes and he's relatively healthy and right now i if the bills had started off hotter more hot i think josh allen could be an mvp like consideration with how he's been playing football recently um james cook has come alive stefan diggs is making critical plays he's not making they're not feeding him 10 targets a game but he's making the critical third downs the big plays when he needs them um and they're using him sparingly but in the right way so Joe Brady, their OC, right? I think that's his name. Yep. Shout out to him, man, because he's been the spark that they needed. Another guy that, again, I don't know if he'll get a head coach job, but I think he's going to be real comfortable with the Bills next year as their offensive coordinator. Um, but, yeah, the Bills the Bills are my team. If they, if they get in, they're the last team that anybody wants to play. Mm. Heading into this week, Dak Prescott was presumptive MVP favorite. I think that takes a step back yeah. after a lack of – lackadaisical performance discounted on sleeper mind you to something like 215 yards and still isn't able to hit his passing total Tough. a little frustrating sound on that a little one, salty but... there <laughs> i only yeah. needed him to have 215 and he couldn't even get i had some really bad beats this week it was lamar jackson by two yards two mm. cost me like 500 dollars in take home man it was it was tough stuff to see but that's the way dfs goes that's why you play that game, man. So I, I want to get back on this Dak to MVP discussion. Brock Purdy recently came out saying that Christian McCaffrey should win MVP. He had a monster performance this year mm-hmm. or, or this week, rather. Uh, I, I think Josh Allen, if the Bills can run the table, they have a chance to be a top four seed in the AFC. They could still win the AFC East. I think there's a shot if he's playing well enough at the time, he could take home MV- MVP. Where do you see this award shaking out? Maybe give us your 
you know, top three or four favorites for this award. Yeah. So right now there's a, the few, there's, I would say four quarterbacks that I'm seeing in this picture. And again, these last few weeks of the season are going to change everything. And every week is way different, but I think right now you have Brock Purdy as one by default stats wise. Like you cannot discount anything he's doing. I think number two is going to be Dak just for what he's done all year long. Then I think three, give me Lamar Jackson. I think as far as quarterbacks goes, he is the number one guy right now that if you take him away from his team, that team looks more different than any other team in the NFL. And then four at quarterback, give me the dark horse, Josh Allen. And I'm going to give two honorable mentions, but we know MVP is a quarterback award, just is what it is. If it was different, these guys would be higher. Christian McCaffrey and Tyreek Hill. Those two guys, yeah. again, take them away from their teams. Their teams look pretty different. Um, I know the Dolphins popped off without Tyreek last week, but I think that was more of a fluke than anything. Dolphins would not be 10-4 and four without him. Should there be a separate award in the NFL for something like an MVP, but we can open it up to non-positional players because the MVP is just a quarterback award at yeah. this point. I know we have offensive player of the year, which will probably go to a Tyree killer or Christian McCaffrey, but yeah. it seems like we need to have an award that's actually representative of a quarterback or just a player's value to their team. Yeah. Give me, give me the MVP, the Nickelodeon valuable player. Give me that as the new, the gadget, right? Give me, give, who, who is this gadget guy that's just changing the outcome for his team? Give me that. I, I agree. It. I mean, it, it just seems like you mentioned Lamar Jackson as the most valuable player. I, I would agree. And if you take the name of the award at face value, he should probably be winning. And I would argue that if you took Brock Purdy away and tossed in Sam Darnold, you'd probably yeah. get similar out. So it, it just yeah. seems, it doesn't even seem like it's a quarterback award. Yes, but it's also not even a valuable player award. It's like it's a just, formality. Yeah. Who had the best statistical year for the most part with some exceptions. That's what it feels like I agree. to me. Okay, another game that we have not yet touched on, uh, the, the last game yesterday and Sunday, was the Jags and the Ravens. And I know you were following that one on Twitter. You were entertaining oh, to, to watch your commentary. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, you seem to have an opinion about it. the end of the second quarter, the, the end of the first half. They ran out of time to score there. Yeah. Um, it seemed like you thought it was his fault. I, I'm just curious to get your beat on what these Jaguars are doing. Now in a three-way tie, for first place in the AFC South, the, yeah. the, 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 to the Colts and the Texans have surged into first place. What is going on with these Jaguars? And is it a Trevor Lawrence problem? What, what is it? Dude, I was so high on Trevor Lawrence, like ability wise early in the year, but he is overcoming his ability with like really bad decision-making. And it's, it's like Jameis Winston level turnovers and like decision-making that like, if you're the franchise guy, you cannot do you, you can't f fumbles happen, right? You can't fumble without anybody touching you. That's just in field goal range, taking points off the board. You can't get down to the five-yard line after throwing an absolute dime and then throw a ball inbounds that someone's caught tackled inbounds on a play where your coach, you've literally practiced this. It's fade flats. Instead of spiking, they're calling fade flats just in case the defense lines up in a bad look. They're going to basically take a shot at a go ball, or if you're uncovered on the flat, then you're going to take the flat and maybe he walks in. You just throw it over his head if he's not going to get in the end zone or if he's not going to get out of bounds. It's, it's like, I don't know if he's getting too far ahead of himself trying to be that guy, but Trevor Lawrence needs to stop trying to be that guy. Go be a game manager for a few games to get through the end of this year because what you're doing right now is just putting more pressure on yourself and it's not looking good. And those like, if the thing is, if Trevor Lawrence was playing Madden, 
would he make the decisions that he's making in game on some of like the turnovers and stuff? I would probably say no. And right now it feels a little bit like, is the, is the game getting a little too big for him? Is he a little bit too like, is he thinking too much? Is he trying to be superhero? Like, because the mistakes are like, dude, if you just cut out these mistakes, you're having like a top five year, but the mistakes are so bad. It's like, how does that happen? So I want Trevor Lawrence to take a step back and just look at like, like take a deep breath before some of these plays. Cause it looks like every play is the most important play in the world. We're like, dude, just throw the ball away. Like live to play the next play. I don't know. And I also think he feels this sense of urgency because they've lost a few games that he needs to be that guy. And at Clemson, he was that guy. He also had studs around him. Like, don't get me wrong. He had a fully loaded team. And right now, like times are getting tough for him. And I think he's crumbling a little bit. I like something you put out during the game. You related a lot of what was happening to the skills that you pick up in Madden, which I think a lot of people may turn their nose at, but it is true, right? That a lot of this game situational stuff you can pick up in a, Dude, in a video game. Hear me out. We in, in the NFL, we spend probably anywhere from five to eight hours a day watching film. Okay. Film is just on the screen in a projector and it's fast forward, slow down, fast forward, slow down. What would you do here, Kurt? Oh, I'll do this, 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 and this. Okay. Well in Madden, you're basically getting AI moving characters that are doing the same things that film is telling you what to do, but you have to live react in real time. And there's consequences throw a pick, whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's real such, that's the one thing I love about Madden more than anything. It teaches situational football and some of the game mechanics, some of this and that may not be different, but as far as situational football goes, okay, there's 11 seconds top, clocks ticking. What do I need to do? I need to either score a touchdown, throw the ball out of bounds. That's it. Those are the only two decisions I can make. I'm not going to check down a flat route and get stuck in bounds, but it makes you take a second. And one of my quarterback coaches who was phenomenal greg knapp passed away a few years ago he told me before every single snap two minute drill whatever it may be do not rush and take one deep breath and just <sighs> then snap the ball because it will make you make better decisions over time because you make thousands of decisions in a game thousands of them that deep breath will help you make a few of them better each play and it adds up over time and it's like I just think Trevor Lawrence is rushing and not thinking. He's just trying to go out there and play ball, and you can't do that in the NFL, no matter how talented you are. Could any of this be a Doug Peterson problem? You mentioned in this tweet about Madden that all Trevor should have been hearing in his headset is touchdown or throw it away. And you described earlier how up to 15 seconds left in the play clock, the coach can communicate with the quarterback, and that's probably a helpful reminder to get. Is is there some coaching aspect of this, or is this kind of Trevor Lawrence, like you described, doing too much? Yeah, I think it comes down to both of them because Trevor, Again, coach, maybe he thinks that Trevor's got it and he doesn't need to remind him. And maybe Trevor's the guy that's like, I don't want any reminders while I'm playing. Just let me play. But at some point in time, when you're making those types of mistakes over and over and over and over again, there needs to be an authority figure that's saying, hey, this is what you can and cannot do up until 15 seconds is left on the play clock. I think this year, more than anything, or this, this week even so, it felt like a lot of games came down to the wire. A lot of situational football was either mastered by, like, that's the thing. Good teams win in situational football. Bad teams find a way to lose. It is what it is. But this week really showed us what that was all about. And I think just across the board, this playoff race is so tight. And it's tighter than we've ever seen. Those are going to be the teams that end up making the playoffs and making a run are the ones that can manage these situations. Because as soon as the playoffs hit, nothing you did before that matters. You square up with the team that you're playing against and you have to play better on that Sunday or that Saturday. And that is it. That's all that matters. 
And you're not just going to pull situational football out of your ass. If you've been bad at it most of the year, you're probably going to be bad at it in the playoffs. You're probably going to lose a game. Look at the Cowboys. Most years, what do they lose in the playoffs? On some crazy shit. Clock running out, Dak not sliding, like where I think the Cowboys actually have fixed that this year for themselves. So like, I don't look to them to lose a game off of situational football this year because they look like a solid team in that regard. McCarthy's actually getting them there. So that's my take on NFL right now this week and kind of where we are. Sure. You open up a mailbag on Twitter. I want to rapid fire through some of these questions let's here. Let's do it. If you're all right with that. Yeah, let's get it. All right. It. The first question from Jordan Watkins. If you're Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, are you keeping Smith and Ritter, Arthur Smith and Desmond Ritter, are you dumping them both? Oh, I'm dumping Smith and I'm keeping Ritter, but I'm also bringing in somebody that is a vet to actually compete. Or if you get a, a good young guy to steal in the draft, I'm going to take him as a, I mean, you know, you can win games with Ritter, so you've done it, but Arthur's got to go. Willie Long asks, we talked about our MVP candidates, Kurt. Do you have any coach of the year candidates? And are we getting a Super Bowl preview on Christmas with Baltimore versus San Fran? I think we're getting a Super Bowl preview on Christmas, Baltimore and San Fran. I think they both have the best path uh, to home field advantage and then to the Super Bowl. Um, obviously, anything can happen. As far as head coach candidates go, talked about a little bit earlier, I think Bobby Slowick. I think, um, and that's the offensive coordinator for the Texans, for those of you that don't know. I think Eric Bieniemy has done a great job for Washington's offense, considering what they have to work with. Um, and then I think Dan Quinn as well with the Cowboys. Those are my three that I'm looking at right now. Isaiah asks, can the Chiefs look to practice squad guys to try and plug holes at the receiver position? It's clear that the current core isn't getting the job done. At what point do you give the next guys up a shot? Ooh, man, that's a tough one. I love practice squad guys. Obviously, I was one myself. And I've had some guys around, the, around my time in the league that have been able to step up and make plays. I don't know if they have it in-house or maybe they would have already done it considering how abysmal their receiver room has been. Um, I think at this point you have to stop asking squares to fit into round holes and just change things a little bit, make it easier for those guys because obviously what they're being asked to do, they're not able to consistently do it. And finally, Amar asks, is Matt LaFleur going to fire Joe Barry now? <laughs> oh man, is Matt LaFleur going to fire Joe Barry? Matt, I know we've had our differences but man, you know it's time. You were able to cut me. I know you can do it there. It's a tough business, but it's a business. And I think you got to go with the results. So I think he should. Will he? I don't know. But I'll tell you right now, that's a really uncomfortable place to be when that's consistently the most negative part of the team. And that's the other thing is they have no excuses. They have a bunch of first-round talent. They have a bunch of vets. The offense was what needed time to grow, and they're actually making plays with young guys. And the one thing that should be just a gimme is a solid defense that you can rely on, and you don't have that with the roster that you have on defense. Like, give somebody else this sandbox to play in because I'm tired of seeing it. Is Joe Barry just unable to sleep all week, do you think? Is he just dreading a call to Matt LaFleur or Brian Gutekind's office to say, hey, man, uh, I know it's almost Christmas, but... You don't have a job anymore. Oh man, I don't know. I think I think he'd know by today. I don't they definitely wouldn't like I mean, I wouldn't be shocked to end this episode right now and look at my phone and be like, damn, we missed the uh the announcement. But <laughs> yeah, man, I mean he's it's that's a hard position to be in. I just I also just am like, damn, dude, just do something different. Like, even if they don't fire him, Joe, just start blitzing. Start playing tighter coverage. I would rather the Packers lose getting bombs over Baghdad just 
350 yards passing, but like hard yards. Don't let up 300 plus yards of easy yards. Like let guys get beaten man coverage. Let them get beaten press blitz, create turnovers, just like risk, higher risk reward. Cause right now what it is, is not working. Let's wrap it up on this. If you are listening and lucky enough to have made the fantasy playoffs, made the next round of the fantasy playoffs, very well that you have a couple holes to fill in your lineup. A lot of quarterback injuries <laughs> oh, man, needing to, to fill. So Kurt, can you give us some guys that you're targeting on the waiver wires that could maybe help yeah. as we <laughs> struggle Dude, into the playoffs? I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I lost one of my leagues because I have Saquon Barkley and Derrick Henry, a total of 7.7 points between the two of them as my two guys I needed. So that league's done. Um, one thing that I would be looking for, I do have one more league alive. Um, let's see here. As far as quarterbacks go, good luck. I think you got Gardner Minshew, who is your best bet available for most teams. If he's still there, Matt Stafford, he's probably not. I picked him up last week and he actually won me my first round of my playoffs, allegedly. We'll find out tonight, but it's looking good. Running backs, uh, Ty Chandler, he was a huge pickup. He's probably not available anymore, but you never know in some of these deep leagues or I guess weak leagues, you might be able to snag him. Um, but man, across the board, it is slim, slim pickings. Receiver-wise, give my guy Dontavian Wicks, man. I think he's going to get the end zone one of these weeks coming up, and he's getting more balls thrown his way. He's making plays. He had 12 points last week, seven targets, six receptions, almost 100 yards. I like Dontavian Wicks, and the Packers are going to have to throw the ball. So that's what I got for you guys, man. What, week 14, wrapping it up? Tuesday episode? Not a lot of football left. Not Dude. a lot of football left, Kurt. Dude, we're, we're hitting the home stretch, but we got a lot of good stuff coming. Um, even once the NFL season's over, we got draft coverage, we got combine coverage, we got all the good stuff. And I think fantasy owners even, they might like that time of the year even more because it's just like, you don't have to worry about the wins and losses that week. You just get to dive in, feed yourself data, and enjoy the ride. But thanks, Tyler. It was a fun episode. I love the uh, presence, how you guide it, get me thinking, get me speaking. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. But until next time, guys, Thursday, be on the lookout. We got some big action this week. See ya.